So I wanted to step in here and just mention for you podcast listeners that you're going to hear a version of our show without the bleeps. This is a conversation about swearing and we're going to do a lot of it. Now, some of you are cool with that. Some of you are not. So if you'd rather hear the bleeps rather than the swears, you can listen to the show posted on our website, RadioWest.org. One of the points the philosopher Rebecca Roach makes in her new book is that swearing is much more than just offensive language because, of course, it's not always offensive. Like when you're out with your friends watching a game or you're hanging out, you'll just let fly and not even think about it. But Roach says most people know the conditions have to be right because swear words are not ordinary words. And this point was made clear one day when she was doing some work at the neighborhood pub where she lives in the UK. If you go to a pub like that in the afternoon, it's pretty empty and you can just have a coffee and sit there and work with a laptop without worrying about hogging a table that somebody else might want to use. But you do occasionally get people coming in and, you know, men coming in and ordering a drink at the bar, like a beer, having a bit of a natter, which is what happened. I was sitting there with my laptop trying to work on this book while I waited to pick my kids up from school. And these two men came in and they bought a beer and they just stood at the bar chatting and moaning, you know, just to sort of catch up. And at some point, one of them swore, I think fairly mildly. But there was this sort of point where one of them nudged the other and sort of said, oh, there's, a, there's a lady present. And they apologised to me. Um, sort of sitting there with my laptop. I don't think they'd realised I was there. Um, and I was working on a chapter called Cunt. It was one of those weird contrast moments <laughs> where I thought... I wonder, what would they think if they knew what I was writing? I suppose in their eyes, I was a, you know, a well-to-do mum waiting to pick her kids up from school, sitting there getting some work done. And there I was sort of writing something quite foul-mouthed. But yeah, sort of, I suppose, really brought out some of the assumptions around swearing. You know, that swear words are not for polite company. They're especially not for ladies. And, you know, this was a situation where these two men seemed to be sort of pretty friendly. They weren't being aggressive or insulting with their swearing. They were just, you know, sort of letting off steam a bit, having a bit of a moan. So it was just sort of one of those moments that caught a lot of the different aspects of swearing, the context dependence, the assumptions about who you can swear in front of. Yeah, interesting experience. This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Rebecca Roach says the details about how we should or shouldn't swear is actually kind of a mystery because everyone has a different standard for this stuff. Some of you never use a curse word and you don't think anyone really should, that it's crass or shows a lack of creativity. But some of you love a good string of expletives. You see them as an important form of expression and really, you know, they're just words. Well, Roach says neither of those approaches is quite right. She says you really need to dig a little deeper to understand just what swearing really is. So we started 
with a kind of thought experiment. You remember years ago when Queen Elizabeth gave a speech. Actually, it was her Christmas message. And she was talking about how her year had gone. 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, it has turned out to be an annus horribilis. Well, Rebecca Roach says, what if, rather than speak in that very well-mannered, very careful way, What if the queen had just unloaded with a string of curse words? Of course, it would have been absolutely, you know, seismic, right? (laughs) If she'd actually sworn during this speech, people would have gone nuts. It would have been all over the papers. No, people already talk about this Anna Terribla speech now, sort of over 30 years later. But, you know, if she'd sworn, that would have been even Mm. a bigger deal. So just noting that, you know, what a big deal it would have been had the Queen expressed herself with swearing. And yet in other contexts, we don't bat an eyelid. You have a friend who stubs their toe or something like that and expresses their annoyance and vents their pain using a swear word. You don't think anything of it. Or if you go to the pub or a sports match and you hear people swearing, it's, you know, it's fine. It's expected in some contexts, but not in others. It's one of those weird things. I think the context dependence of whether or not swearing is offensive. That on the one hand, we, we, of course, we all know that because you know you know not to swear in front of your boss. I guess whereas you know there's other contexts where lots of us would feel a little bit more free to use swearing. Um, so we know that, but at the same time, we think of swearing as offensive language. You know, yeah. words that we ought not to say. And we somehow sort of hold these beliefs about swearing simultaneously. Mm. So I think, you know, sort of it was this really untapped thing to explore. Everybody knows what it is. You know, even people that say they'd never swear, they know what it is and they have views about people who do swear. But that's as far as it goes, I think, you know, sort of... um, psychologists, historians, linguists, and so on, that they've all studied swearing. They can tell us, you know, sort of where swear words originated, mm-hmm. um, what's going on in the brain when we swear, things like this. But but there'd never been a sort of philosophical treatment of it yeah. where, you know, people, where anybody had dug into it and said, well, why do we think it's wrong? And are we right about that? Yeah. And what's going on when people are shocked by members of the royal family swearing, but not when some guy down the pub at 10 o'clock at night swears. Here's one of the questions you ask in the book. How does F asterisk 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 manage to be less offensive than fuck? Given that, as you say, anyone who understands F asterisk 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 knows exactly what word is being mm-hmm. communicated. And, and we'll get to the the way you think about that question. But I, I want to know what interests you about that question. Like it, it seems like you're interested in the way we communicate. I mean one of the things you've, you've talked about is you're thinking about, for example, a book right now about um, indirect communication like you know, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. passive aggressive and sulking. Like what, what is that all about? Is, is that the thing that interests you about? Swearing to the way we communicate. So, so this, I suppose, goes back to this puzzle about where swear words get their power to shock or offend. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, you know it, it does seem completely mysterious because mm. it's like, well, it's just a series of letters or it's just a series of sounds. You know, nobody gets shot by the word country, even though, you know, the first syllable of that word is probably our most powerful swear word. You know, so what is it? Why do they magically have these powers to shock and offend when, you know, when, when these noises are produced mm. in, in certain contexts? I think it can be super puzzling. I mean, there's there's some things that you can say about the sound that swear words make, but it's not the whole story mm-hmm. about, you know, what causes them to affect us in the way that we do, you know, to shock or offend us. And we can also say things about, you know, the history of those words and, you know, kind of beliefs about sort of magic, about sort of almost, you know, sort of you say certain words, it's almost like to sort of utter a magic spell. But I think none of those are the full story. And I think a really big part of what gives swear words their power to shock and offend is is sort of hidden from us Mm. um, in the sense that it's not to do with those letters themselves or the the sound that swear words make. It's to do with what we signal when we choose to swear in a certain context. So if you're in a polite context, you know, you're meeting your future in-laws for the first time, something like that, you know, you want to be on your best behaviour. If you choose to swear in a context like that, then you're signalling something to the people that you're addressing, which is basically to say, I don't care very much about Mm -hmm. how you feel. I don't respect you very much. So it's quite a clear message of disrespect, or at least that's the way we often hear it. And I think swear words are quite unusual in the sense that, you know, obviously there's lots of different ways that you can signal disrespect to somebody. You know, you can sort of just not say please and thank you. You know, you can start scrolling through your phone while they're trying to talk to you, you know, all all sorts of different ways. But I think swearing is a special case in that in one sense, that's what swear words are for. You know, swear words are for causing disrespect or they're they're for causing offence. They're for letting people know that you don't respect them in some context, you know, if you use them in a polite context. And I think that makes a difference. Um, Now, going back to what what you originally asked about asterisks and how those work. I think when a newspaper, for example, chooses to censor the word fuck by leaving in the F, but then uh, writing, so so writing F star, 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 Mm -hmm. um, instead of writing the word in full, then yes, we all know what word it is. But I think the reason that works as a way of reducing people's shocked reactions is that the message that would have been sent by the uncensored word, which is, you know, I don't care about how you feel. I realise you might be offended by this word, but I don't care. I'm going to use it anyway, which is a sort of fairly disrespectful message. I think when asterisks are used, it sends a sort of competing message, Mm. which is, I want to convey to you this information. So maybe I want to sort of tell you what this public figure said before they said involved a swear word, but I care about your response to it. I don't want to upset you. So I'm going to hide some of the word using asterisks instead. So it sends quite a sort of solicitous um, considerate message and that's what the reader hears and if you're if you're the sort of reader of newspapers that would be outraged to uh, encounter an uncensored swear word but will you know is a kind of okay with a censored version then that's presumably why you're yeah. hearing that message of consideration so I think you know sort of in some <laughs> what's going on here is that uh, you know the question sort of 
why does swearing affect us in a way that it does and how do asterisks work are related because the answer to both has to do with you know the message we send when we swear about how much we respect or care about the person we're addressing well, you, you mentioned that the norms of swearing are, as you say, built upon this network of attitudes that we hold towards each other. Um, and then these attitudes shape society and culture in these really important ways. So so, so I, I guess in some – for that, it's like this is about how we respect each other, treat each other in some way? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time when people swear inappropriately, so swear in a polite context, say, they're not doing anything morally wrong. Yeah. Maybe a few cases, pretty rare cases where there's a moral wrong involved. Most of the time when it's objectionable, it's just because it's rude. Right. So it's a breach of etiquette. It's, yeah. it's rude in the way that not saying please and thank you is rude. What we do with language is not merely, we're, we're not merely using language to share information about the world. I mean, obviously, that is something we use language for, but it's not the only thing. We also use language for things like, you know, indicating our attitude to another person, sort of Mm. expressing our friendship, letting people know that we respect them, and so on. So when we say please and thank you, you know, that's not really, we're not sharing information by adding those words. What we're adding is an expression of respect. There's a a philosopher, uh, Sarah Buss, who wrote an article about etiquette where she, you know, she says the word please basically translates as you are worthy of respect. And you can think of, you know, it's not just please, it's, it's, it's thank you. It's the way that we phrase things sometimes, you know, if somebody, uh, if we use tact. So, you know, somebody, if somebody asks you what you think of their haircut and, you don't think they look very good. You probably aren't going to say that they look awful. You're going to sort of, well, you know, it'll grow out, mm. or whatever mm. it is you might mm. say in that context. Just the, the choice of words that we make convey certain things to the person we're speaking to. So it's not just about sharing information. It's also about expressing attitudes to people, and they can be either respectful or disrespectful. And I think, you know, swearing fits in to that. You know, just as please is something we say when yeah. we want to indicate that we respect somebody. Swearing is something that we can use to indicate disrespect, but not just disrespect. I mean, in some cases, we can use swearing to sort of establish intimacy with people. You know, if you go for a drink with a new colleague and you sort of relax together, and at some point, one of you swears, but in a sort of fairly like benign way, then, then, you know, that that your relationship with them, I think, in, in those sorts of cases, mm. can often sort mm. of progress a little bit. Yeah. That you you then trust each other to swear without taking offence. You know, you trust that they are um, acting benignly when they swear in your company. So, yeah, I think you know, sort of swearing can be uh, something that we use to cause offence. It can be something that we use to indicate disrespect. But it can, depending on the context, it's something that we can use to indicate other attitudes as well. Well, you mentioned that there are a few approaches that people take. One is the one that where you just avoid it, like you don't want to offend people, so you just you'll stay away from it. But then there are those who think that swearing is like this is a really important way of expressing yourself and being creative. And like uptight people mm-hmm. are just going to have to get used to it. Um, but one of the things you mentioned in the book is neither of those approaches really gets it quite. Right. You're you're responding mm. to both of those, which is one is just like, I'll, I'll just avoid it. And the other, which is, you know, 
fuck it. I'm just going to say the thing that I want to say uh, because I want to be expressive and creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a delicate balance. There are times when it is useful, when you can um, express something with swearing that would be very difficult to express without it. There's some great examples from psychology here, you know, sort of um, examples of sort of swearing, helping people cope with pain, Mm -hmm. which is a really kind of vivid illustration of, well, you know, if we we didn't have swearing, we would be worse off in this particular way. But it clearly has a a useful function. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's not the case, you know, if you don't like swearing, you just have to deal with it. You know, in general... If we can avoid causing somebody upset, if we can avoid upsetting somebody without good reason, then, you know, the nice thing to do is, you know, avoid it. If you if you don't have to upset somebody, then don't do it. And so I think, you know, if you are going back to that example of sort of meeting your future in-laws for the first time. You know, they're going to be shocked and upset, let's say, uh, if if you swear in their company. So, so you know, just don't do it. It's not going to cost you anything, mm. right? Mm. That I mean, that's just saying, like, have, like, read the room. <laughs> so give right. some consideration for how people are yeah. going to receive what you say yeah. and try not to upset them. But that's different from saying, you, you know, let's, let's restrict people's freedom to yeah. say the things they need to say. It's, you know, there, there can be a bit of nuance here. We can be considerate to people without, you know, harming ourselves or, or really impoverishing our language by preventing people from saying certain things. Rebecca Roach, she's a senior lecturer in philosophy at Royal Holloway University in London. She's also the host of the Academic Imperfectionist podcast. Her new book is called For Fuck's Sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude and Fun. One of the things you get at is the you know like what what is it what is swearing exactly you know apart from giving this list of words like what is it and you include in this part of the book this quote that I really like from the linguist Jeffrey Nunberg who said swear words don't describe your feelings they manifest them which was really mm-hmm. I think really helpful for me because I guess swearing is an expression of emotion, right? That that's what make that's one way to describe what this thing is. It's not just this word, it's a manifestation of an emotion, right? Yeah, it can be. I mean, swearing is kind of slippery when you try yeah. to when you try to define it. Because of course that's it, it often is. Yeah. You know, if you if you trap your finger in a door mm. and you get a scream, fuck, you're not really uttering a word, are you? Mm. You are well, in one sense, you are, but you're basically screaming. You're, you're just giving vent to your feeling. So, yes, yeah, swearing can be a way of venting emotion. But, of course, it's not always like that. You know, sometimes when sometimes people will swear just as a way of punctuating their conversation. You know, I'm sort of thinking of examples of, you know, when you sort of get teenagers and they're exploring, they're, you know, they're kind of exploring, asserting themselves and breaking free of, they you know, mm. whoever's telling them what to do and, and sometimes swearing is part of that. And so you, you sort of hear people just sort of saying saying fuck in the way that 
certain other people would just say um and ah you know so right. it's, it's sort of it's it's not expressing emotion it's it's yeah. pretty emotionless and it's not contributing anything at all to what mm. they're saying so it's kind of not doing anything um so i think yes swearing can be used as a way to vent emotions but certainly not always but yes i mean you're, you're right and i think something else nunberg said is is that it's it's sometimes more of a scream than a utterance mm. Um, I might have got that quotation wrong off the top of my head. But yes, it has been noted that it's, that, you know, swearing is part of language, but it also sort of goes beyond that. It's a special part of language. Well, you, you mentioned that it has a unique linguistic role, too, for example. Like when someone says, fuck it, we don't interpret that literally, like, as you say in the book, like, they're not saying something like eat it or wash it. Mm-hmm. The person who says, fuck it, isn't making a command. So in that sense, it's a really unique, versatile thing. Fuck, and I guess words like it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that particular example, so fuck it, and also also the title of the book, for fuck's sake. Right. So the title was decided after I'd finished writing it. Otherwise, I could have discussed this in the book. But um, yeah, so these are expressions that they just, you know, they're well known in a sense, we know what they mean, but mm-hmm. if you kind of think carefully about, okay, well, what, how should we analyze this sentence or this expression? It just seems like nonsense. And here's a sort of interesting place where we can trace the roots of swearing back to well, blasphemy yeah. in these cases. Yeah. So, um, yes, fuck it doesn't mean anything in particular, but you know, one theory of where it came from is that it it somehow evolved out of damn it, which did mean something, right? If somebody mm-hmm. were to say damn it, then you can tell a story about like, what they're asserting in addition to the story about, well, you know, they're just letting off steam. So yes, one, one theory about this is that, you know, blasphemy used to be a bigger deal than it is now in places like the, you know, the UK and, and lots of parts of the mm-hmm. US at least. So, you know, because people are less religious now than they used to be, blasphemy's lost some of its bite. So that means that an expression like, damn it, or for God's sake, they're not as expressive as we would like them to be, you know, for the purposes of venting emotion. Mm. So we've kind of kept the structure, more or less, but we've replaced the religious terms with something that is more offensive. So, damn it becomes fuck it, and for God's sake becomes for fuck's sake. And and we lose, you know, they sort of, in a way, they become nonsensical because there is just like, well, what do these things even mean? But that sort of doesn't matter because mm. the purpose of those expressions, at least, you know, when we when we utter them, is is not really to convey information. It's to express emotion. And you can do that even if you're speaking nonsense. Have you noticed rules for swearing? Like a kind of grammar for it. There's a certain way to do mm. it and there's a certain way not to. I, I, it sort of comes up in the the section where you write about the creative uses of swearing. And you mention yeah. one of my favorite swearers, which is Malcolm Tucker. He's this character, for the, those who don't know, in the British satire show, The Thick of It, made by the same guy who did Veep. It'll make the same kind of connection in the same way. In the same way. Tucker is a great swearer. So, But, but mm. are there these what do you make of that? Like, because you, one of the things you mentioned in the book is your hunch is that our judgments about whether a person is a competent swearer is just mm. we're just making the same judgment about whether they're just a good user of the language in general. There maybe isn't any difference. What what, what do you make of all of that? 
Yeah, yeah, you do. So, so there is some analysis of, you know, what you can say with swear words, you know, what you're allowed to say within the rules of, you know, how to use language correctly. You, you do get people say things like, well, you know, you can't say, how good was that fucking the way that you would say, how good was that? Very, right. you know, you get people sort of making these sort of points about, well, you know, these are these are the rules about swearing as if, you know, there's rules of the, the way there's rules of grammar, mm-hmm. there's rules of swearing. We can all imagine case of somebody swearing really incompetently, just, you know, sort of not really knowing what they're doing when they swear. But but then there's this question, well, you know, sort of who says, where are these rules written? Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, we don't teach children how to swear properly. Uh, they just sort of go to secondary school and pick it up, yeah. you know, from the older kids. So it's almost like, you know, you just, we tell children not to swear most of the time. And, and that's it. That's all the guidance they get. They don't get sort of schooled on how to, like, how to use the word fuck appropriately. And whether it's an adverb or, you know, all, all the rest of the, the the things that linguists argue about on this topic. So, yeah, there is this element of, well, who says what are the rules? And I think, you know, sort of sometimes, uh, you know, you mentioned Malcolm Tucker and um, another example I like is the uh, sort of Scottish Twitter, if you remember when um, (laughs) after the UK's Brexit vote when Donald Trump came over to the UK and he uh, insinuated on Twitter that Scotland had voted in favour of Brexit which they hadn't, and Scottish people on Twitter sort of took exception to this and were just coming out with these like really imaginative insults, sort of sweary insults. Can I mention? I can't remember can I, anything off the top of my head. Well, but, let, um, me, let me mention a few because I've got a few of them here. Do. Knuckle-brained fart lozenge, cock-juggling thundercunt, witless fucking cock splat. Fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, yeah I mean... Um, so, <laughs> In in a sense, it's like, well, is we could ask the question, are these people swearing correctly? Yeah. You could make a case for no, right? In the sense that, well, these are these are not expressions that exist. They're making stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, nobody cared about that. Yeah. Instead, people were making like long BuzzFeed articles <sighs> made up of screenshots of all the like the best tweets from Scottish Twitter. And the same with Malcolm Tucker, you know, sort of coming up with these really imaginative ways of swearing at people and instead of saying oh they really don't know how to swear do they we get people sort of celebrating the creative use of language and you know i'm not sure why would we do that is there any good reason why we would view that as you know those cases as uh, sort of just creative uses of swearing rather than incompetent um, attempts to swear um yeah i think it is probably that if if somebody is generally sort of fluent and capable yeah. of using yeah. a language, yeah. then when they swear in a novel way, we might be more tempted to think of them as just being creative. Whereas if somebody is struggling to express themselves in the language and they swear in an unusual way, then we might in that case conclude that they are, you know, that they just haven't learned to swear yet. I think the claim that there are rules about how you can swear is on pretty shaky ground. <laughs> what do you make of anti-swearing measures. I mean, they have them in, of course, broadcasting their rules for, you know, us as broadcasters, for educators, mm-hmm. other professionals. There are swearing. I mean, you, you mentioned one of the laws in Utah uh, that swearing can be considered disorderly conduct. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you write that this issue of whether it should be dealt with by the law is 
is kind of controversial. So how are you thinking about the, the laws people try to set up to censor this? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's there's not a problem that we have rules about swearing. You know, that there are there are rules that say you can't say this word in this context. That's inappropriate. Yeah. Just because it, we have rules like that about all sorts of things. It's not just swearing. It's, you know, you don't uh, you don't turn up to a funeral wearing a bikini. You know, it's just that there's all these norms of etiquette and it's and it's completely fine that we have them. You know, as I said before, they are that the norms of etiquette are what enable us to express respect and consideration for other people. And it's a good thing that we're able to do that. I think where a difficulty arises is that when you get sort of official responses to swearing, especially responses by the law, you know, some, if, when people get arrested for mm. swearing or fined, mm. this sort of thing, we need to be sure that that's happening in a fair and just way. And in order for that to happen, we need to have a good understanding of what it is that, you know, so if somebody is arrested for swearing, we need to have a, a good understanding of exactly what they've done wrong. And I think often we don't. I think mm. um, what, what often happens is that people have this sort of knee-jerk response to swearing. Like you just feel shocked by it. Yeah. And then we kind of move from that to thinking, well, this person who swore, who shocked me with their swearing, has done something wrong. And I think, well, maybe they have, maybe they haven't, um, unless we kind of dig down and, and ask, well, exactly what did they do wrong? And, and I think the danger of not doing that, you know, not sort of really taking the time and effort to understand what the wrongs of swearing are, you know, what someone's done wrong when they swear inappropriately, then there's a risk of injustice. Um, <sighs> for reasons like, you know, there there is still, maybe not as much as it used to be, but there, there is still this sort of um, taboo around women swearing. Mm. So, you know, sort of people, lo lots of people, especially of a certain generation, will be more shocked by swearing when it comes from a woman compared to when it comes from a man. And if that kind of double standard is becomes enshrined in law then that's or, or broadcasting or you know sort of any other official way of uh, dealing with swearing then that's going to mean that men have more freedom to swear than women mm. and that women pay a higher price for it rebecca roach her new book is for fuck's sake why swearing is shocking rude and fun One of the things you mentioned in the book is that if if we're going to, you know, understand what makes swearing offensive, we have to look at the relationship between the swearer and the listener. Like this is a, I don't know if it's like the central argument, but it's a really important argument you make in the book that swearing's offensiveness doesn't arise from the words themselves. So I wanted you to just talk a little bit more about that. I mean, you're sort of getting at this already, but just that it's about um, context. Yeah, yeah. And part of that context is the relationship between the person that's doing the swearing and the person who is um, who they're swearing yeah. either at or right. in the in the company of. Yeah, I mean, so if you – so you wouldn't want your babysitter swearing – at your kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that that's a sort of really striking case, I guess, and and that illustrates, I suppose, that the principle there is that if the person swearing is in a position of power over the person 
that yeah. they are talking to when they swear, there might be cause for concern mm-hmm. about them swearing. So, you know, if if a babysitter swears at a child or if a teacher swears at one of their pupils or if or if your boss swears at you, right? They, these are all sort of sets of circumstances where the person who's swearing has in in a sense more freedom to say what they want than mm. the than the person they're talking to there's a power imbalance going on yeah. and that can mean that you know sort of sometimes given that the way swearing is used it can it can sometimes be taken as a form of aggression so um you know rightly or wrongly you know if your if your boss swears at you and you know that if you were to swear at your boss, then there would be a penalty for you. Then that means, you know, your boss is sort of free to say nasty things to you. Um, so, yeah, I think we the, the question there uh, or the relevant thing there is, you know, is it a sort of fair battle? You know, is, is right. the, are both people as free to express themselves or, or is it the case that one person has more freedom than the other? And I think swearing can really enhance that, not because swearing itself is necessarily a wrong in those situations but it can just magnify the power imbalance that already exists you know there's this really interesting example you use in the book to illustrate how a word can become offensive like it's you know offense uh, offense escalation i guess is sort of the 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 term that's used and you use this analogy of a person who makes you know they make a new friend her name is Rebecca, um, mm. but for some reason you in, insist or keep calling her Rachel. Take us through this analogy because I thought this was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, this is um, sort of I have I have a lot of experience of this. Um, yeah, so, so uh, if a lot why, of the time because you're well, Rebecca, is that why I'm Rebecca? Yeah, so so people sort of throughout my life that uh, people have occasionally called me Rachel. <laughs> because they're confused about what my name is. Even my granddad used to do this occasionally. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not it's not a big deal. But, you know, suppose I were, or suppose somebody called Rebecca and she meets somebody new who, who starts calling her Rachel. Yeah. So Rebecca has introduced herself as being called Rebecca and this other person mistakenly calls her Rachel. Now, that's no big deal if it happens once. But if the other person continues to call her Rachel even after being corrected Mm -hmm. once or twice, let's say Rebecca has a a couple of times politely said, actually, my name's Rebecca, not Rachel. And the other person says, okay, that's fine. And then, but but then continues to call her Rachel. If if that's how the conversation continues, then I think Rebecca's going to start to get offended. And it's not because Rachel is a rude word, because obviously it's not at all. It's more to do with the fact that this other person is taking so little care mm-hmm. over getting Rebecca's name right, which is uh, which ought not to be a big deal. So I think, you know, you have this situation where a word can become offensive, not because of any magical properties of the word, but because of what's yeah. being conveyed by the speaker to mm-hmm. the listener when when it's being used. So I think this is this is the power of swear words that you sort of get this set of inferences between speaker and listener. It's not the the magic properties of, or it's not just the magic properties of those words, or it's you know it's nothing particularly special about having a certain series of sounds in a particular order. It's to do with what we signal to the people we're speaking to when we swear. So it matters who's doing the swearing, 
who's being sworn at, who's around, what the relationship mm-hmm. is. And there's a section you, you, you write a, a good bit about bias and injustice and mm-hmm. prejudicial attitudes that come into play here, you know, um, the difference between a swear word and a slur. So you work through all of that. But there's this also really interesting thing you write toward the end of the book where you're talking about a person who has a disability and the mm. inclination that we might have not to swear in front of them in in, a, in an act of kind of condescension. Say something about that. That was a kind of an interesting spin on this that I hadn't thought of really. Yeah, so this was something I got thinking about after reading a blog post by a disabled blogger called Mel Bags, who used, they used a wheelchair and they also used a a voice software to speak. Hmm. And they'd written an earlier blog post about uh, describing this quite sort of horrible experience of somebody just basically invading their space, sort of getting really up in their face and being a little bit infantilizing towards Mm -hmm. them. And so one of Mailbags' responses to this experience was to create a page on their voice software machine that had expressions to do with, you know, asserting boundaries. So there was this page with lots of buttons that that they Mm -hmm. could press that said things like, uh, can you step back? I can't remember exactly what they were, but, you know, sort of things like you're too close. All the way through to fuck off, I think it was. It was yeah, something yeah. with fuck in it. Mel Bags's justification was that they need to have ways of um, asserting their boundaries because, you know, people will invade the space of disabled people. Um, but what they found is that when they tried to use this you know, in the wild, when they tried to swear at people through this voice software, that people would just think it was funny. So they wouldn't be offended in the way that, you'd be offended if mm-hmm. somebody, somebody who wasn't disabled told you to fuck off. But instead, people were saying, you know, finding it funny that somebody was swearing at them using voice software. They, they said something like, you know, we, we, we have the ability to swear, but uh, people don't always give us the right to swear. Mm-hmm. So it was this mm-hmm. making this point that, you know, swearing, being able to swear, being, being able to cause offense and shock people by swearing doesn't depend just on using the words. You also rely on something from the listener. So you you depend on them to be shocked by what you say. And so I think there's this question, well, why is that the case? What is it that causes people to laugh when someone like Mel Baggs swears at them using voice software? Um, and I think it has to do with respect. I think yeah. it has to do with Viewing the person who's swearing at you as part of the group of people whose opinions you care about. So, you know, if a two-year-old swears at you, or if you if you were to witness a two-year-old swearing at somebody else and they reacted as if an adult had sworn at them, you know, you would think they're overreacting, right? You would say, "Well, it's just a it's just a kid, you know, loosen up," mm-hmm. which is a way of saying, you know, this this person is not a member of the group who you should whose opinion of you you should worry about. But of course, people with disabilities are part of that group, or they yeah. should be. You know, we should. There's no reason to disregard the the respect and esteem that we're held in by people with disabilities. The the way that we respond to swearing by different groups of people, I think, is probably quite revealing. Mm-hmm. If you're less likely to be offended by swearing by being sworn at by somebody with disabilities, then that's maybe a signal that you don't respect them as much as you ought to. 
people who are listening to this in, just in the broadcast version of the show on the radio will not hear all of the words expressed. They'll hear sort of beeped versions. And I wanted to get a sense of what you make of this effort to – or, or, or what others may be, what you're seeing in others in this effort to sort of sanitize these words through asterisks or mm -hmm. through beeps. I mean, you mentioned Charlotte Bronte being really annoyed mm -hmm. with the practice of sanitizing, you know, these words. And The Guardian's style guide, which says that putting asterisks in these things, it's just kind of a cop-out. It's like... As you say, the, the thought is either swear or don't swear, but don't mess about with half measures. Mm. Where mm. are you on, on all of that? Yeah, I, so I don't share Charlotte Bronte's view, but, um, but I think, you know, of course, she wasn't writing. She was writing at a different point in history. You know, <laughs> she course. wasn't talking about like yeah. tabloids, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. the internet. She was talking about you know the sort of uh, the sort of sanitization that you would find in literature of the mm -hmm. time. And you were talking about you know in sort of you'd see this in Dickens, for example, where the word God was not written out right. in full. That you would get uh, sort of G and then a I think typically like a long hyphen and then. G. But I think applied to, you know, the sort of things that we're talking about, you know, sort of um, radio shows and so on, it's no more concerning than any of the other norms that we have around. You know, I keep going back to this example, but, you know, sort of meeting your in-laws for the first time, you just assume they don't want you swearing, or, you know, at least not till you get to know them. Right? You're just not going to swear in their company. And that's just a sort of, you, you avoid swearing in that situation just because you recognise that you know, you're in a situation where people might not want to hear this. And I think with a radio show, it's similar that there's, you have to have some sensitivity and respect to the people that tune in, mm -hmm. right? It could be that the people, the people that tune into this radio show uh, might not want to tune in if they thought that it was going to have swearing in it. I think that there's no kind of right or wrong there, mm -hmm. right? It's just, mm -hmm. okay, you don't drop swearing in it just out of respect to them and what they what they want to hear. I think that itself is unproblematic. There's just sort of different social contexts come with different norms about what you can say and what you can do in them. I think it only really becomes problematic if we're talking about, I mean, where you're talking about sort of censorship, then I think it can be more problematic. If, if an important message or an important voice isn't being heard because of censorship, or if people are being um, viewed as Unintelligent, say, because um, because they're swearing in a particular context. So I think, yeah, that there's there's a middle ground to be mm. struck. I think a, a middle ground. Is, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, I suppose, that where there's you have these two extremes of, hey, I should be able to say what I like, and on the other extreme, nobody should swear ever. Mm -hmm. um, and you can strike a, a sort of nice middle ground, I think, where you you can sort of retain the ability to express yourself, but also have some respect to the people that you're talking to and what they might like to encounter. Let me ask you, finally, um, you mentioned um, this, there are these two incidents of swearing that happened nearly 30 years apart involving the Sex Pistols. Mm. There's the story you write about early on, which raises the question of whether or not our attitudes about swearing I guess, in, in, in public, but w whether they've changed over time. And you ask this later in the book, whether or not, you know, swearing's power to shock and offend is by being overused. 
mm. is losing mm. its power. Um, what, what do you think about all of that? How 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 are you seeing swearing because we're doing more of it? Maybe I guess that's an argument that could be had. But how have our attitudes? How are our attitudes about all of this changing as we curse more and more? Yeah. Swearing itself, just as a category of words, is, is I think, not becoming less capable of shocking. I think what you do see is, and, and this is, you know, not just a modern thing, this is sort of throughout, throughout the years, uh, you get some words increasing in offensiveness over time and some decreasing in offensiveness. And it tends to sort of track, I think, what, what the values of society are at the time. So, you know, I sort of mentioned religious swearing at least in some cultures becoming less shocking and offensive as societies get more secular so an example i always sort of mention here is um from the movie gone with the winds mm-hmm. when there was that rhett butler line frankly my dear i don't give a damn now when that movie came out in the 1930s there was some debate about whether that line should even be included uh, because it was so shocking like he said damn but you know now that that sounds really tame. Mm. So this is just normal. Right? You, you see this sort of rise and fall of the offensiveness of certain words and certain categories of words over the years. That that's all fine. An interesting thing that uh, there's a uh, organisation, a broadcasting organisation, Ofcom in the UK, which produces guidance about you know what words you can say on tv and so on um every decade or so does a survey to ask people to to find people's attitudes to certain rude words um and and it's a really sort of interesting snapshot of public attitudes uh and if you look at the, the past few reports i mean what you what you find is that you know over the past few decades slurs have become much more offensive so you know sort of homophobic terms racist language sexist language you know a couple of decades ago you would even maybe have got those dropped into polite conversation but now that that's that's super shocking right that's much more offensive than a swear word in in plenty of contexts and i guess maybe you know sort of more recent thing sort of anti-trans language or sort of disrespectful attitudes towards trans people I think is something that's emerging whereas maybe only a decade ago you would still get people poking fun at trans people in in comedy and so on so I think you know the the uh and the explanation for this is that you know increasingly there is more public awareness of the experiences of trans people and the effects of disrespectful attitudes and oppressive attitudes so i think yeah over time you do get this rise and fall of swearing but you know it it, um sorry you do get this rise and fall in the offensiveness of certain swear words and and, and other um offensive language but you know that that's not to say that swearing itself is becoming less able to shock i think something that we do see is that lots of context lots of formal social contexts how uh, you know contexts that were very formal a few decades ago are much less formal now so i think mm-hmm. you know lots of workplaces have become less hierarchical say that there's this sort of move away from the situation where you have this sort of very clear structure you call your manager 
Mr. or Ms. Mm. something. You don't use their first names. You wear a suit to work, et cetera, et cetera. And I think lots of places that were like that in the past are now much more casual. So, you know, you, you might be able to sort of call your call your boss by their first name, don't necessarily have to wear a, a suit to work every day and things like that. And I think that that sort of move towards informality also has effects in the language that gets used. So perhaps, you know, in, in sort of form, formal workplaces, it's not just going to be the case that you have to dress formally, that will also have an effect in the language that you can use. And so as places become more informal, you can also speak more informally. And, mm. and perhaps in some cases, that might be that might come out in swearing as well, that you, you can um, get away with swearing in the workplace without anybody taking offence by it. I mean, sort of usual contextual rules apply. But I think changes like that can give the impression that swearing is everywhere and it never used to be. But I think, you know, that change is kind of piggybacking on this more general shift towards informality and in certain contexts. Mm. Well, Rebecca Roach, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Rebecca Roach, she's a senior lecturer in philosophy at Royal Holloway University of London. She's also the host of the Academic Imperfectionist podcast. Her new book is called, For Fuck's Sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude, and Fun. Radio West is a production of KUER. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas, you may have comments, feedback, you can email us at radiowest at KUER.org. The program is produced by Benjamin Bombard and Tim Slover. Kerry Watson is our executive producer. I'm Doug Fabrizio. 